You're watching Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. It's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for anyone in the financial services and wealth management industry. Learn more today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa. I am in my car. Those of you that are not watching on video, uh, I got a little bit of a drive, so I figured I'd give you all what's on my mind uh, while I'm driving, be as efficient as I possibly can. Uh, the reason for uh, this podcast this week in this uh, video is really because there's been a couple of things that have come up over the last couple of weeks that I haven't been um, on top of in terms of communicating to everybody, to my audience. So um, I hope you enjoy it. Um, and obviously, leave a message, uh, DM me if you'd like. Um, obviously, subscribe to my podcast. Uh, email me if you have any questions or comments. And Frank, at EliteConsultingPartners.com. Uh, but anyway, the first thing I want to talk about is is what's going on at Merrill. There's been a lot of movement at Merrill, a lot of large teams moving. It doesn't really matter what the firm is that they're going to or who the firm is. <laughs> the fact of the matter is large teams are moving and are going to continue to move. This includes uh, some of the, uh, the the private banking world. I think we're going to see some movement there uh, to firms like UBS. They've been picking up a lot of those uh, a lot of those teams. Uh, but you know, Andy Seek uh, was interviewed in an article a couple weeks ago, and I just thought it was really interesting because some of the things that he was saying uh, were really contradictory to what, what I see going on and that is he didn't see a big problem with attrition which I don't know how that's possible when he sees the number of large formal, former what I call uh, Lifer Merrill producers meaning these were large teams that made their careers, set their careers at, at Merrill Lynch. Um, and they would never consider making a move in the past. And now all of a sudden, these veterans, these high quality seasoned veterans are leaving the firm. And what I'm hearing from some of these advisors is that Merrill left us a long time ago. Um, and it is, you know, whether you believe that or not, um, Advisors are voting with their feet. Uh, so you can have your opinions or you can't have your opinions, but the truth of the matter is these teams are leaving every week. Um, another, it's a Rockefeller move or a UBS move or Morgan Stanley's hiring this team or whatever it is, LPL's hiring big teams. Um, you know, what I see happening in Merrill Lynch, uh, this is my opinion, it's not a fact, so I'm just stating my opinion from 25 years of experience. Um, I I see them slowly moving towards uh, this salary bonus private banking model where the advisor, there's a main main advisor at the top, then there's a team underneath them. Let's let's call that the sort of the, the Bernstein model, um, where the main guy's the one making all the money, uh, woman, guy, woman, and then the people underneath are essentially bonus salaried W-2 employees and they spread out the relationship across all of those teams so that it makes it very difficult for the advisors to leave. 
<coughs> which is why you don't see a ton of advisors leaving leaving uh, Bernstein because it's, it's hard to do. Um, the other thing I see or that he talked about is the fact that they're enhancing their training program and they're working on creating synergies between financial advisors and the banks. All that really means is we're locking in our financial advisors because once they start working and spending all of their time developing banking clients, those banking clients can't leave the firm if the advisor leaves. So if you're an advisor that spends 10 years developing a book of business with the local Bank of America office, you've just worked for, I mean, you got paid, but you've built no value in your own business because if you were to leave, you can't take those clients with you. That's their whole model. And they're they're slowly, I'll say slowly, I don't really even know if they're trying to, trying to mask it anymore. Somebody just almost ran me off the road there for a second. That would have been an interesting to have on a podcast. Um, they're, they're not really even masking the direction that they're going in terms of, I'll call it glorified bank tellers. In my opinion, not that there's anything wrong with bank tellers. My wife was a bank teller when I met her at, at Fidelity. Um, first Fidelity, whatever it's called at the time. It was a long time ago. Anyway, that's the direction they're going. Um, I, I think within the next 12 months, you're going to see the Merrill it's no longer Merrill Lynch. Right now it's Bank of America Merrill. I think within the next 12 months, you're going to see the Merrill go away. Um, I'm not sure what they're going to do with the bull. I'm not sure if they're putting put, put him out to pasture uh, or if they just put a bull at the end. I'm not sure. Um, sorry to be so graphic, but that's my opinion. Um, I just think it's, it's sad to see what's happening um, with a firm that was really the... Uh, preeminent firm in the wealth management space. So I think that's what's going to happen. And I think that if you're if you're at that firm and you're not seeing it, um, maybe you have a great branch manager that's that's uh, that's keeping you protected from all that noise. Uh, but just look at the news rags, look at the advisors that are leaving all the time. Some of these advisors, a lot of them, are going to independent platforms where they're not really getting a lot of money to move. As a matter of fact, one would argue that it's almost a break-even because these advisors have a lot of uh, deferred comp that they're leaving on the table, and it's gotten so bad that they're leaving the deferred comp back, and they're taking a lot less money. So, if, look, that's not what I see. It, it is what it is. I, I call balls and strikes. Um, I don't care what uh, what pinstripes are on the uniform. The other thing that I want to talk about. I don't mean to be to rant about it, but I've been it's been on my chest and I wanted to get off my chest for, for a while now because I read this article and I'm so frustrated and I was like, I don't know if he's if he's um, he doesn't care about what's happening or he's oblivious to what's happening. And I'm not really sure which one is worse. That's for that's for you all to decide as listeners. <laughs> the other thing that I did, which was very interesting, and I'm not sure really why it's never come up in the past, but I was doing a pro forma for a client over the weekend. This We're going to shift gears. We're going to we'll move away from firms, and we're going to talk about money. I was in the office on Saturday for a few hours, and I was running a pro forma for a client. They're at a wirehouse firm, 
they're considering two options. One is going to another wire house and just taking the check. I have my other hand in the wheel, by the way. And then the other option is going, taking less money and going independent. And if you take the transition money out, or even with the transition money, right? I've said this over and over again, I'll say it again. The break even is really only about, I'll, I'll round it up and be conservative and say four years that even getting 150, 160% check up front, your break even, total break even for going independent, excuse me, for going independent is about four years. You're ahead of the game going independent and you're significantly ahead of the game after 10 years, after taxes. But in the same week last week, I had two clients say to me, Frank, that might be the case, but if I get three and a half million dollars from Morgan Stanley, as an example, I can invest that three and a half million dollars. And even if I grow it at 5%, I can almost double it in 10 years, right? Rule 72, so 5% is not quite a double. Um, I said, okay, fine. Let me bake that into my, my spreadsheet. I would argue that I have probably one of the most accurate pro forma spreadsheets uh, that, you'll, that you'll see. Um, it gives a very, very close estimation of what an advisor should be generating in terms of net income. Um, as long as they give me the right information, right? garbage in, garbage out. But anyway, so I spent some time and I built that into my formula. And, you know, I took the money, you're going to get the money, the upfront money gets essentially uh, forgiven over a period of 10 years. So you're only paying tax on the money one-tenth every year on the forgivable piece. There's some nominal imputed interest. It's not really a lot. So it doesn't really doesn't really come into play. It's like, you know, 0.39% or something like that. Um, but what I did was I took that $3.5 million and invested it at, at uh, 5%. I also took the back ends of the bonus that they would have gotten, they would get if they went to Morgan Stanley in this case, assuming they hit year four, you know, two, three, four, five numbers, which four and five numbers are meant to be stretches from firms. If you're talking to a wirehouse firm and they tell you it's not gonna be a big deal for you to hit four and five, uh, that's not the firm's opinion. The firm's opinion is roughly only 10% of advisors hit year four and year five numbers. So just keep that in mind. But anyway, I made an assumption that this this advisor hit all those numbers. So I baked that into the formula. And normally when you get that back-end bonus, it's taxed in the same year as, as ordinary income. <clears throat> so I baked that into the number. That gave me uh, a number of uh, roughly... I forget the number off the top of my head, but it was not quite a double, but it was up there. Then what I assumed on that number was a 20% long-term capital capital gain rate. So I assumed that you that, that they sold their positions and went to cash and paid 20% on all the number. So they started with 3.5. They got an additional, let's call it um, 300 after tax on the back-end bonuses. So 3.8. And they essentially netted after tax 
roughly $3.6 million. I'm driving the car, not gonna look at the reports because someone will send me nasty grams about me reading and driving at the same time. Um, and there's traffic. So follow me there. So I took that number. Then what I did is I went down to the independent line where they're getting 55%. So I took that number, which was roughly 1.3 million or something like that. No back-end bonuses, but their income, just the income component alone is double, right? So in this case, it was roughly a $400,000 increase on an annual basis in income over W-2, right? So they had a they had a delta of four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars every year because they were independent. So I made an assumption that you took that that four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars, which was net of income tax. So it was that it was the remaining cash, and you put that in with the one point three million dollar initial investment. So you made you put that into your investment account, which then grew at five percent which then you sold at the end of 10 years and you paid long-term capital gains rate of 20%. And that number came out to roughly 2.6 million and change. So I baked all of that in there because I'd never been asked to do that before. For some reason, I just, I'd never been asked to do it before. It was a great project. I know that sounds it sounds odd that I get excited about doing Excel spreadsheets, but I like to know the information. The more I know, the more I can help my clients. So that's why I put in you know, about four hours on Saturday doing this thing. It was beautiful and so on. Um, anyway, so I figured out over a 10-year period of time, this advisor was doing roughly uh, 2.4 million, I think. Uh, they were being offered 150% plus about back ends. Their total after-tax accumulated wealth. So their income plus the plus the their investment and their the return on the investment going w2 was roughly 10 million a little over 10 million dollars over the 10-year period of time the same advisor going independent without any recruiting meaning that they didn't bring any producers in their office to get an additional override of cash flow that same analysis generated 14.5 million dollars in net after-tax capital. That's like a 45% increase in capital. I, I thought that was amazing because I'd never done that before. Uh, it was fairly accurate uh, with the taxes and everything. Um, I changed the analysis to well, what happens if the advisor gets seven percent? Same, same, same scenario. But the 45% differential or delta went down to like 39%. So still a significant increase in after-tax realized capital, not capital gains, but realized capital to the advisor that went independent. That was amazing to me. And, I, and my point of telling you everyone this is there's two numbers that you should be thinking about when you're looking at making a move to boil down all these spreadsheets and who's, all this noise, all the noise that people talk about 90% this and 
87% that, and I can give you 95, and I can, whatever. Um, I'm talking about all about the net. This is like all about all about the cash. How much cash are you gonna end up with at the end of 10 years? The two numbers that you should just focus on if you wanna boil it down to its, so to its simplest number. Your increase in income on a monthly basis when you go independent is going to be roughly 40 to 50% more, really, really 2x, not even 50%. That's not really, that's not really accurate because if you're netting, if you're netting 30,000 a month, 50% would really only be 15,000. You'd be netting 45. Um, it's really like a 2x. So if you're netting 30,000 a month in after-tax income in a W-2 environment, a good assumption, if you're just trying to do, you know, you know, sort of napkin math, or there's a chunk here, do napkin math, a good assumption is your 30,000 is going to turn into roughly 50 to 60,000, depending on where your office is and you know, how much space you want to put out. But that's really going to be like a 2x. So a second assumption is really going to be at the end of 10 years, no matter what a wirehouse wants to show you, if you take that money and reinvest it, your total accumulated cash after 10 years is going to be, we'll round it down and say between 30 and 40% more if you go independent. That's the math. I'm sure there's an anomaly out there that um, where it's a little bit different. Uh, I'm not really sure what that noise is, um, but that's the math. Um, oh, it's a car. Cars making noise. If you want me to go through the math with you, I'm gonna host a, a, a live event called a live Zoom by invite only. And I'm gonna actually walk whoever wants to join, whoever wants to see this spreadsheet, or whoever wants to see me go through this spreadsheet. I'm gonna host a live event uh, in a few weeks. I'll let you know when it is. And I'm gonna walk through what I just talked through. So I'll have to put on a grease board. Maybe I'll put on a grease board like I did once before. Uh, but I was, I don't know, I believe you, I'm a geek when it comes to this stuff as a business owner. I, I love to know the numbers. Um, you know, one of the most important things you can do as a business owner is know your numbers. Um, if, you, if you don't, you're not gonna be a successful business owner. But 2X and 30 to 40% more. Those are the two numbers you need to understand when you're considering leaving your current firm and going to another W-2 option or going to an Anyway, that was my uh, 20, 25-minute rant. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we have some great guests coming up soon. Uh, I've been really on a tear. And one of the reasons why I haven't posted much of this stuff recently is because the activity level within, this, within the business has gotten, um, has ramped up and it's, it's, it's feverish. Deals are... I'll say deals are at an all-time high again. They pulled they pulled back for a while, but 
uh, in the wirehouse space, regionals, uh, everybody's fighting for your assets. Uh, in the independent space, everyone's fighting for your assets. Valuations are going up. Uh, we, we're working on a few deals where our clients are getting valuations on, uh, on earnings, earnings, not revenue, on earnings that are, you know, eight, nine, 10 times EBOC, which is earnings before owners comp, uh, and higher. Not to get into those details, but they're higher. Um, there are some firms out there that are throwing, a lot, throwing around a, <coughs> a lot of money, <coughs> excuse me, throwing around a lot of money uh, for your assets because they're being very aggressive. They want those assets right now. So if you're, if you're a financial advisor, RIA looking to make a move, if, you're a, if you own a broker dealer and you're tired of all the headaches and all the bullshit, you need to consider rolling up into another larger institution and be just becoming a producer group for your existing advisors. I can show you through another spreadsheet um, how you can make more money doing that and still deliver all the service and culture that you want to your advisors. Um, bottom line is there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for advisors out there where you don't have to be unhappy in your current situation. You don't have to be at a firm because you think you can't deliver the same level of services or products or scale that you want to be able to deliver with your, with your current firm. We work with well over 100, 125 plus firms that we can, uh, that we've represented our clients to. And there really isn't a solution yet that I haven't been able to find for a client. Uh, it's one of the exciting things about our business uh, and, and how I and how we operate my firm and how I operate, really peeling the onion back with a client and understanding what is what it is that they need. And then we go to the market and we find it. <clears throat> Maybe it's a firm that we're already working with, we've already brought clients to. If it's not, we go and we start knocking on doors, figuratively speaking. Of course, we go and we do a search. Um, I have a, a great COO, Dale Dempsey. Um, he he is awesome at finding information on different firms to help us provide a solution to our clients. Um, if you ever want to talk to him, give him a buzz. His, uh, his email is dale at eliteconsultingpartners.com. This is a shout out to Dale. And uh, 856, phone number is 856-316-4653. He's a great guy. He'd be happy to help you. I'd be happy to help you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share this. Check out our YouTube channel, Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Check out our podcast. If if, if you're not listening to this on on our podcast, like and subscribe. Hit that that like button. Smash that like button. Leave a comment. Five-star rating, of course. And if you have friends that really need some help, share this with them. Go to our channel. There's a ton of great content that aren't commercials about other firms. It's great content that advisors should be listening to to understand what's happening around them. Anyway, thanks a lot. Great talk. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to check out some of our other episodes. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our channel. And we will see you back here next week.